0: I want to talk about self-will today. Self-will. Are, are any of you out there kind of self-willed? Uh, are, do you ever see Burnett as being self-willed? Webster uh, defines it, governed by one's own will, not yielding to the wishes of others. Obstinate. Uh, is is one definition. Yourdictionary.com, being stubborn or sticking firmly to your own opinions or ideas, an example of self-wills when you're confident that you're right about a subject. And we should be confident that we're right about certain subjects, but, but a, a confidence that no one can, can alter anything ever. Dictionary.com, stubborn or obstinate willfulness as in pursuing one's own wishes, aims, etc. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then Collins English Dictionary, someone who is self-willed is determined to do the things that he or she wants to do and will not take advice from others. How much of uh, self-will, that, that kind of self-will, would you say exists in your life? What, uh, what, to what degree does that uh, impact you at times? I uh, would want to say first, uh, as we think about self-will, what would you say would be a good, uh, a good opposite word for self-will scripturally? to not be self-willed? What would be the opposite behavior? Uh, One of them that I can think of as we think of the book of James uh, and the wisdom that's from above is yielding. Would you think yielding would be... uh uh, uh, willing to yield. A person is willing to yield. And we're not talking about being willing to yield on things uh, ab- about which we have very strong values, biblical values and understanding. We're convicted of this. This is God's way. This is the right way to do this. But willing to yield in situations when we deal with others uh, sometimes. Willing to yield and and listen and not be so driven by my own self interests and my own self-wills that I'm, I'm going forward. So self-will versus being yielded being self-willed can originate from several different underlying issues and these can be isolated or they can be combined sometimes it's a bit of rebelliousness you know i just want to do what i want to do i'm settledness yeah i know they say this i know the church says this i know god's word says this but you know what in this situation i want to do what i want to do could be pride it could be manifest by needing to be in control where you know there there are some whose personality types are they cannot not lead in a situation anytime they're in a situation they see a better way to do things and oh this is disaster i need to come in and take care of this i need i need to control the situation and to the degree that i control the situation is the degree that i can be at peace and that things can go well but but it's but it ultimately when they look back at it they realize that that it can be more than just an altruistic desire for things to go well for everybody. It can be sometimes this this underlying self-will. It it has to be my way because I am doing things the right way. My way is is the best way. But that is um, one element of of I know best. Sometimes it could be what, what ends up Manifesting itself as as, as self will will a fear of the unknown, a fear of what might happen, fear of what could happen, fear of of, of losing something uh, the fear of death, fear of, of of suffering, or it could simply be in self will an overpowering desire that I want something I, I have this desire for this in my life, and it is so powerful to the point that it, and it could be a desire that is a good desire, that is a godly desire, a desire that's right, that, that's appropriate, but it's one that infringes upon the Matthew 6.33 principle of seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If I even have a good desire and, and deeply desire that to the point that that moves itself in front of the Matthew 6.33 principle, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm allowing my self-will, my self-interest, my desires to push even ahead of God's, God's way of what God says is most important. So I would ask you to reflect on that. Think of some of the things that we just talked about. Ruminate on that a bit. If you were to get Pushed in one way or the other. What what would what would be some of the areas? Maybe a couple of areas. What would be some of the areas that you would say? You know what? I I've got to keep an eye on this because this this comes in there. This this comes in there to where I see and as I reflect on my life, I see sometimes I let my self will, my self desire, uh, self interest to trump these other things that uh, I know I I should. I should be doing. So what exists in our lives if we're flat out honest with ourselves? What exists, uh, and we need to acknowledge openly to God and to ourselves, that blank, fill in the blank, fills that slot. The title of today's message is Father Knows Best, or I guess we could say Does Father Know Best? How many of you watch Father Knows Best? Man, I am dating some people. Okay, I see two generations there. One says no, one says yes. I'll I see again. Mr. Demarest. It's, okay, we've got, got some of my aged people over there. I'm looking at one lady in particular. Father Knows Best. It came uh, in the 50s. I think it was around 54, 55, and ran till about 63. Robert Young, I think, was the guy's name that was the dad, and it was supposed to be a, a modern family family. Uh, modern nuclear family, uh, and living in a, in, a, in a town, and, you know, dad had his job, mom was housewife, and doing her things, card club, ladies club, all these, these different things, but they, they always were dealing with situations, situations of life, and, and they got everything solved in 30 minutes or less, whatever the moral issue uh, was. I remember watching that, you know, of course, I'm so young, uh, right, really close to Matthew Gus, except six or so years old older but uh, anyway I I started watching that I I remember one summer uh, when you you know it was a morning it was on in the morning it was reruns and I remember watching about 10 or 11 episodes and I thought it was it was, it was okay. It was pretty decent. I, I, if I'm going to watch Black and White back then, I'd rather watch Leave it to Beaver. I just love Leave it to Beaver. I love uh, Wally and Beave, The Beeve as they uh, went through all the things and got into all the, the issues that they had to, uh, had to uh, deal with. But, but, but this thing of Father Knows Best, uh, would, would you say as we think of Father with a capital F, uh, in your life, in my life, does do I... Do I approach life, do I attack life uh, from that that approach? That Father, my Father, my Father in heaven who created me, uh, does know best. And I strive to make everything that I do and everything that I think line up with that understanding of of that He does know best. That as I look at Scripture and I read His words, I realize my Father is telling me, This is good for me. This is what he wants of me. This is what he does not want for me over here. Father knows best. I will follow that. Do you and I really, truly, with all of our being, believe that our Father does know best? Do you? Do I? Do the choices that we're making in our lives right now demonstrate that belief as as we look at our lives? Would you say that's the case? Part of uh, overcoming self-will is, uh, you know, you think of uh, competitions and uh, battles and different things, not necessarily a fight to the death, but one of the things they say when the other person uh, is, you know, has the person down, they say that statement or or ask that question, do you yield? I yield. I yield. Okay. Well, then the the contest is over. This person wins. Uh, As as God asks you and me, do you yield? Do we say yes, I, I surrender. Uh, do we do we say uncle? Uh, as uh, that, that's an old phrase. Who who used to, who knows what I'm saying? Do you say uncle? Does everybody know that? How many? Okay. Okay, say uncle. I mean, I give up when we were kids that you'd be walking along and somebody would your hand would be just out walking where your hand should be. And then all of a sudden they grab my my pinky and ram it into into my uh, into the base of my palm and uh, say uncle. Okay, I'll say uncle. And and then they let go. But do do we say uncle? Do we say uncle uh, to God spiritually? Let's turn to Zechariah 4. To begin, a, uh, a good memory scripture you're talking about, uh all that the the branch uh, has done in in Zechariah 3, and then Zechariah 4, it gets into another uh, prophecy that I hope to discuss uh, to some degree next time I speak here, but the the vision of the lampstand and the olive trees. We won't get into that, but he comes to a statement that we'll read here in just a second. I want to, before we do so though, those of you that have read uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong's autobiography, I should have I should have read from the book recently and just pulled a couple of quotes out of that. But if you were to say that, if you were to say what what would would Mister Armstrong have basically categorized as the theme of his life, the central theme of his life that he has learned, I submit to you that it's something like this. And I I I, I quote myself as I think about reading reading his autobiography and, and all the things that he went through from being this, this hot shot go-getter as, as a young man and a salesman that is ready to take on any challenge and get after it and, and be a self-made man and, and uh, make it in life and, and see the, the degree of influence that he can have here and here and here and all, and all of where he started and all of what God allowed to happen in his life uh, and, and where he ended his life as he breathed his last breath, I would say it 's something like this: God in his uh, one of his central themes, if not my, if not his central theme uh, in his life, would be that God, in his love for me as a loving father, who knows and knew what is best for me and wanted to share with me everything that he possesses, his inheritance. Uh, the future, Mr. Armstrong, loved to talk about the plan of God and, and what might things might be like in the future. He brought me through a series of events in my life so that I could choose to surrender my life to His will, to send, surrender my life to his laws, to his teachings, to his principles. God wanted to know from me: Would I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, or am I going to choose my own way? And and Mr. Armstrong repeatedly saw God guiding him through that and and creating a situation to where he would either choose to fully trust in God and go forward or draw back. And uh, God uh, helped him through many, many ups and downs in life to to see that that process. And it's, it's no different with us, is it? It's no different. God wants to know whether or not we will choose his way that we trust that his way is the right way and anything that is self-will anything that is self-driven that is is I've got something to give that is of me that is an incredible thing and I'm holding on to that above anything that God could give me anything that I hold on from from this life ultimately uh, is going to create some problems he would say I'm a worn out hunk of junk Uh, but but what but what he saw was as we read in Zechariah 4 6 so he answered and said to me Zechariah 4 verse 6 this is the word of the Lord the eternal to Zerubbabel not by might not by power not by my strength not by my power but by my spirit says the eternal of hosts do we reflect on that do we think about that as I mentioned, Mr. Armstrong experienced a series of events in his life, bringing him to the point to where he realized his only hope spiritually, his only hope in the world spiritually was, was to rest up, upon this total reliance on God and a yielding to him, a full 100% yielding to him everything that God's word said. You know, we, we can get in our minds, when we think about self-will, as, as you're thinking about some areas of your life where you may experience that, that, that it rearing its ugly head in your life, as, as I do mine, uh, we can, from that, get into these modes of what I just consider faulty thinking. Uh, and it can hit us at a young age, it can hit us middle age, it can hit us late in life, but which, which at the core, these areas of faulty thinking, they, they represent self-will. Uh, let me give you some examples. God, I'm going ahead with this, but show me if this is wrong. Just show me if this is wrong. Shut the door. On, on me if it's, if it's wrong. In fact, if you need to zap me, uh, zap me if it's wrong, uh, when we already know from God's word that it's wrong. Uh, have you ever been in that situation? I've counseled with others? I've seen situations in my own life where I sometimes have, have just gone ahead and pushed in an area where when I, I know that it's wrong, I know that God's word says to do things differently. Yet for some reason I have reasoned my way around that or or created a situation in my mind where I can justify it and still create this thing of where God's I'm thinking, well God's you're you're still in the picture because I'm telling you to 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 help me here to see this if 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 I if if it really is really, really wrong. Uh, God wants us to to put him first in that regard. Here's another one. You know, I've seen others go this route and, and name the route or the route, however you say that, R-O-U-T-E, I've seen others go this route in their lives, and, and I know some of the things that, you know, that, that they're doing are, are contradictory to what God's Word says on this. But I've seen others go this route, and you know, it's, in the end, it's worked out for, for them. I, I've seen them make this choice and this choice, and it was rough for a while, but in the end, it worked for them. So therefore, I, I'll i follow this path as well. Uh, boy, that, that can happen when we're young. That can happen when we're young, that can happen in young adulthood, uh, where we just begin to get wonky, uh, uh, reasoning-wise, versus saying, calling it for what it is, an aspect of self-will of, I, I want to do what I want to do. I wanna, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, uh, in, in actuality. Uh, you know, in, in a sense, they, they can say sometimes, that you know, it really did work out okay for them, uh, but, but can we really say that it worked out uh, okay for those individuals, that it worked out well for them in the end? I mean, God knows the heart. God knows the heart of that individual. God knows the scars that that individual has placed, uh, has, has on them. God knows their current situation. We don't ultimately know the heart. Uh, Christ will reveal the heart uh, when, when, when he comes. But, but I, I'll go that direction too. Even though I know, even though I know deep down inside, as I understand Scripture, that this approach is contrary to Scripture. What are we saying here when we do things like that? What are we saying when we allow those thoughts to germinate and, and move towards a, a decision? What we're saying is, Father, you, you, don't, you don't know best. You don't know best in this situation. I know Scripture says this, but I, I know best. I know best. I... Uh, I won't mention uh this this individual's name he's a he's a member up in the Sherman congregation uh, you know, I talked about it last night in our uh, prayer updates but he's the individual who uh is is battling uh cancer he's been placed in a care facility uh now he's 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 up there in age and uh and at the time of not knowing exactly what the situation was before uh having to to go into the hospital and get treated he needed to be anointed, and uh, he, uh, he asked the two ministers. He, actually, he didn't ask the two ministers. He told them, he said, uh, when one of you anoints me, he said, I want you to pray for God's will in my life. I don't, I don't want you to pray in, in, in a thing of, you know, when you're, when you're in your 90s, you, you can tell a minister that kind of a thing. But anyway, you know, I, I want you to pray that God's will be done because that's what I want. I want his will done in my life with this health situation. I know that he knows what what he's doing with me at this stage, and and that's what I want above all else. And uh, in their anointing, they prayed for God's will. Uh, but, but again, that is, that is something that, that all of us do as ministers. We, we always strive to ask you know, that God, we, we, we claim what, what the Scripture says in James 5, uh, but, we, but, but in that we ask, God, your will be done. We're, we're praying for this healing. We're coming before you and asking for this. But you know what you need, and we always, we always yield to that because you know what's best. Father, you know what's best for this person. You know what's best for me. We trust in that. Uh, I thought it was a, a beautiful example of, uh, of a godly approach. Do we see our lives do we see our lives as a process uh, of our learning that the Father knows best, that, that he does know best, that he wants us to come to a state of totally yielding to him in every way, and yielding to his ways, that our actions and our thoughts and our words uh, Come from this inner love which which is his love in us but it comes from that to to cause us to to deeply desire to completely surrender our lives to him I mean that's what God wants he wants the complete surrendering of ourselves versus the the other is where we're going down a path that that stems from inner fears pride, desires, a need for control, self-will. So I ask each of you today, I ask me, baptized or unbaptized? Baptized or unbaptized? Where, where are we on that? Where are we on our self-will? Young people, you folks are in some challenging situations, you know you're being tested. You're being tested in these situations and God wants to know. God wants to know, do you, as, as you study with my word, as you, as you study and you hear, hear people get up here and talk about things, talk about God's word, as you talk with your families and as you see the contrast of what's going on in, in, in school and in society and all of that, he wants to know. He wants to know, do, do you do you want to seek me and my will for you in this life? Do you trust me? Do you trust me that I really do know best, that I really love you, and I want to give you everything? Uh, or, or do we, do we have that, that bit of human nature that is there? It's there in you, it's there in me, and it's pulling at us. It's pulling at us to take Take that step and say, you know what, God, I, I see some of these things. Or, or maybe I'm just going to kind of close it out because I don't want to think about it right now. I don't want to uh, delve into it because it makes me make hard decisions. And I don't know that I want to make those decisions. now. So I'm just not going to deal with it. Some people do that. But, but to, to face it and say, God, I must read, I must understand, and I must totally rely upon you. Appreciated the uh, the references uh, in in the sermonette today about several of the messages uh, in of in the two last week in particular. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Mr. Jones' message last night, as he talked uh, last night, as he talked last Sabbath about uh, this this person named Saul and the uh, the apostle uh, who became the apostle Paul as. Uh, as he served God's people let's let's just look at two verses he covered uh, I, I believe he covered both of these but i would like to speak uh, to those in particular to uh, what we're covering today in this thing of self will acts x9 so here he was uh, you know again as as mr jones very aptly put uh, making havoc of the church but then uh, jesus christ awakened him, uh, uh, lopped him upside the head on the road to Damascus here. Acts 9, verse, verse 5. Acts 9, verse 5. So, uh, you know, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, verse 3, uh, and then verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him as, he, as this, this light suddenly shone around him from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You are persecuting me, Saul. And then he makes this statement. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, or as uh, Mr., uh, jones mentioned last week in the authorized king german uh, german authorized king german uh, king james version uh the the uh the pricks uh, the the statement uh, it's it's a proverbial expression here and and interestingly enough those of you that have a have a margin in in your uh, in your bible it, it will probably state there that the majority text the the majority of texts do not have that proverbial expression contained therein uh, but uh, but, so, this may have been added uh, there, later but there 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 are some of those uh nuances of differences where things like this are added, but the principle uh whether or not it was in the original text, or whether or not a person added that to uh, for for clarity, it it is an interesting uh, proverb to 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 say it is hard for you to kick against the goads as a beast of burden, a beast that would be uh, yoked or, or or trained to do something. They would have goads or the sharp points uh, that would be up against it that if it if it goes against what it's supposed to be doing it's going to come up and 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 get pricked it's going to be pain and blood and damage to the animal to go up against that it, it, it does no good there is no there is no benefit to kicking against the goads and he says Saul that's what you're doing you're kicking against something that is doing you damage uh uh, so, so I would ask us, are, are there any areas in our lives where we're kicking against the goads? That, you know, when we look at it and we, we, we look at Scripture and we see this, you know, I, here, I'm kicking against the goads here. I'm doing self-damage, damage that has spiritual repercussions. Now, God may d- delay the, the, the damage. It may not manifest itself uh, immediately, but, but he may cause it to come up immediately. But regardless, sooner or later, you will have to face that. You will have to face that. Uh, I've had to face those things in my life. I will have more to face. Uh, So he says, why do something that's going to cause damage and bring you no lasting value? The longer you and I kick against these goads in our lives, the more damaging it will become. Ultimately, it kills us spiritually. It can kill us for eternity. If we determine to stay fixated on my self-will versus total yielding to god why why then uh, why then is it does god consider it such a such an affront to him but to to kick against the goads like this we know the answer uh, because it represents an attitude of no i will not yield to you god in this i'm not going to do it i'm not i know it's right I know what your word says, if I'm honest with Scripture, but I am not going to yield to it. God, God can't work with that. He can't work with that, that kind of an attitude uh, into eternity. Uh, he will not work with Satan into eternity, because that, that is, Satan is kicking against the goads. Can he win? He can't win. He can only cause others to go down with him. His, his whole existence is kicking against the goads. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Think about that. Is there anything in our lives, are there any elements in our lives where, if we're honest with ourselves, we see that occurring? Instead, what does Paul say? Uh, what does he say in verse 6? So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That is, that is yielding. Uh, he was kicking against the goad, and the opposite behavior was to yield. And he began to yield to his great uh, almighty creator and his creator's son, Jesus Christ, who also is the creator. So he yielded to him. What if we were to consider every choice in our life, teens right now, what if you were to consider every choice in your life, am I going to strive to yield to him based on what his word says? Young adults, 97.6 year olds in here, uh, how, how many of us uh, are, are, are thinking about that on every, every, every decision that we make? Here's a strategy that I've found effective, and I, I don't take credit for this. In fact. Uh, uh, I, I, several of these ideas came from a, a Christian um, sister, a sister in Christ uh, that I know well and talk with uh, from time to time. Uh, she has some of these that I, that I hope are are, are 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 helpful to you, uh, as they've been helpful to me. When, when we come upon situations in our lives, if we're willing to acknowledge it and address it, that we say, you know what, this is a, an attitude of self-will that I'm demonstrating here. What are some strategies that, that I can take? Uh, the first one is critical. Name the destructive attitude. Name it. Name it for what it is. Uh, I, am, I am acting. Call it out. You know, call it out on, for what it is and own it. Own it because we have human nature and we battle that. But to say I, this, this is what it is, according to God's word. As I look at this and as I see this in my life, as I'm as I'm as I'm recognizing this, I I, I realize that, and I, I and I talk to God about Father. I'm reasoning or acting out of fear of others, uh, what they might say, fear of failure, fear of of losing my influence, my power, my reputation on something, Uh, my livelihood, fear of losing my life. Father, I realize I have acted out of self-will, self-interest, and it's been because of pride. It's been because maybe a hurt that that I let germinate in Christ turn into an anger or a wrath or a bitterness or a hatred wanting my own form of justice on this situation because of what this person did to me whatever it is and I realize what that is I've got to name it before God call it for what it is because we can't really address it while we're making excuses for it and soft shoeing it uh, in terms of what we we want to kind of think of it as maybe kind of being because that way we still cozy up to it and we don't get it out of our lives but name it name that thing for what it is name that that attitude that is the attitude of the adversary the devil that, that as part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and as part of the human nature that, that lies within each of us that we battle, I see it for what it is and I'm calling it for what it is and I'm talking to God about it. This is what I am struggling. This is with what I'm struggling presently, God. Take that attitude before God in total surrender and say to him, I yield. Uncle, I'm crying out uncle here, God. Here's what else we take to God. We humbly ask for his forgiveness, for allowing that attitude of the adversary to get into our lives and take hold to where it's impacting me here to this degree. To repent and then turn from that attitude and walk in harmony with every word that proceeds to the mouth of God. So if I'm not reading God's word, I, I can't even take in what God wants. I can't yield to him if I don't know what he wants me to do. If I'm not reading and studying and, and, and looking at what what that actually is and being able to address it and work on the opposite. And and that leads us to the next aspect of the strategy. This is a critical piece of the repentance uh, process, and that is this. It requires studying and reflecting upon the opposite behavior of that attitude of the adversary. You know what's what's the opposite of of anger and wrathfulness? Not that you know you know be you angry and sin not. I'm not talking about that, but wrathfulness or or hatred or bitterness. What what's the opposite of that? Love. What's the what's the what's the opposite of of uh, you know self will yieldedness? So I, I study my part of my repentance process is to study the opposite of that evil evil sinful attitude fear of failure uh, you know perfect love casts out fear uh, trusting in god versus i've got to control this over here even though it's not right uh, study the opposite take into that opposite and and then go forward in trust because our father knows best i i i got to remember romans 828 uh, you, you've got my best interest at heart, Father. I trust in that. Go forward in that regard. Let's look at John 3. Mr. Kylo referenced this passage. I believe he actually quoted this in, in last night's In Accord, and I thought uh, it, it speaks to what we're covering today, so I wanted to, uh, to use it for the message today as well. John 3, verse 19. Father... You know best. I I trust in your will, and I want your will, not mine, and go forward. John 3, John 3, verse 19, he says, and this is the the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Jesus Christ had come into the world. His example is uh, all that he was doing, and he says in this situation that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That I submit to you that those deeds were, were rooted in self-interest, self-will. Uh, that 's why it went after those Pharisees, because they, they saw certain things, they understood certain things, and yet their self-will and their self-interest was so powerful that they would rather be in the darkness than surround themselves and, and, and come to the light. He says, and this is, the, this is the condemnation, we'll read it again, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Now, don't get me out there in the light. I want to do this over here. And does not come to the light because if he comes to the light, then his deeds are exposed and everyone sees it. What's the opposite of, of hiding and doing evil in secret? What's the opposite behavior? Openly acknowledging, being transparent with God, being transparent with others whom you know and love and, and who have your best interests at heart, caring individuals, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, not hiding, not, not keeping things in secret, openly confessing. You know, it, it's, it's always pick, pick the opposite behavior. Now, uh, he made this statement. This is what uh, what he emphasized last night. Verse 21 but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And it was interesting the way he presented that last night. He read that verse, and he said, what jumps out at you there? And I thought, well, it's it's, it's pretty pretty good passage there. I like that, but what, what's supposed to jump out at me? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not getting it. Uh, but then he said uh, what it is. Because he says, "You this thing with the truth, the truth is something that, that we've been given. You know, Mr. Gus talked in the sermonette about what, what we've heard and what we've learned and what we've experienced all these years in the church. We have so much knowledge of the truth. But uh, Mr. Mr. Kylo in his, in his presentation brought this out, but he who does the truth, he who does the truth, truth is, is, is knowing but, but this whole thing of doing the truth is so critical. It's that yielding to God. God, you know best. Father, you know best. I read this, this word is truth. Thy word is truth. I will not only know the truth, I will do the truth. Uh, and, and he says as we do the truth, as we completely yield to him and not, not act out of self-will, we, we come to the light. We come into light. We want to be in the light. We want to be exposed to the light. We want to be transparent before God. We want him to cover our sins. But we, we come to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. We want our deeds to be seen. That they, may have, that they have been done in God because it's a total yielding to God, not a, a, a self-will, a self-interest. Look, these are my deeds. It, 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 they've been done in God. A beautiful uh, way that Jesus Christ uh, presents this here. So, in thinking about that, you guys know, uh, gals and guys, uh, young folks, adults. We 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 have so much going on. So much going on in the world. So much going on in our lives. Satan's is, Satan is seeking to divide us. He's he's, he's seeking to distract us. Political, economic financial turmoil in the world, social turmoil, even decisions made within the church itself, within the various aspects of leadership from from the little things that that we do here, the, the bigger things that, that we do, the, the the kinds of decisions that the administration has to make, all of these different kinds of of, of situations that that are are facing the the leadership of the church. Sometimes what happens if our if our thoughts are or how we would approach something different how might What if that differs from from what the church ends up doing or deciding on a certain matter? How do we handle that? I mean, Satan wants to divide us. He wants to create that division. He wants to create that frustration and and anger and and divide and seed that and fill that and get us distracted, be uh, away from what's really critical in our lives. You know, willing to yield. And again, I'm not saying something that involves sin. I'm not saying that. But but in, in decisions uh, and, and responsibilities that various individuals have. It's their call. And can we yield to that? Do we let those things though, those frustrations and all these things that we see going around us, do we let those germinate? Because Satan seeks to cause us to place things, needs, wants, people desires all of these things ahead of God, ahead of of his way. Satan seeks to stir up in us our human nature, to stir that up and to feed on that. I am right and there's nothing you can say to me. You can't say anything to me on this. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to think what I'm going to think. I'm going to take care of myself. I know best. Satan seeks to destroy that, our faith in God and the faith of God that lives in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. I can't fully trust in God. I can't fully jump in and, and, and do this, whatever this is that we know is God's way. I, I can't do that be, because it, it might not work out well. It, this might not work out well in the short term. This may create these kinds of challenges. This, this will impact what I want that is good for me. This is what I need. Without it, I won't be happy. And then what results? Self-will. Self-will. What I want. We must not do this. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 1. We'll spend uh, most of the rest of our time here in in Galatians today. We must not do this. Instead, we, we go to the Father in prayer. Father in heaven, you know best. I yield to you. I yield to your ways. I will trust in you, I will look to you and your son, I will look to both of you for guidance on how to live. Guide me in your wisdom, teach me in that way, and I'll walk in it. Galatians 1, I I think uh, we see an interesting story here. Of course, Galatians is dealing with the the Jews uh, that uh, are are Christians and and trying to compel, uh, some were trying to compel others to be circumcised in order to be a part of 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 the church, uh, that that is a, a thread that's running through that, and Paul's talking about that not being the issue. It's it's more the as is talked about in other places, the circumcision of the heart, uh, but placing the law above uh, above God and and the, in, in the interaction with what. God and Christ have done through Christ's sacrifice. Uh, So he's addressing that, and and he's talking about some of the problems that that resulted uh, and and the motivation behind some of the decisions that were made that were actions out of self-interest, out of self-will. Yes, even in the church. Galatians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle from men, uh, not from men, nor through man, Paul wanted to make certain that was very clear, that I I recognize that I, Paul, uh, am in this role because of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Uh, The Father was the one who raised Jesus from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. He's the only one who can do it we we can't do it he must do that according to the will of our god and father to whom be glory forever and ever amen so he makes this statement here and we see later that he's he's talking uh, significantly about this this thing of you must be circumcised to be a part of the of the the body of christ that they were pushing uh, He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, verse 8, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This uh, anathema uh, statement. Now, verse 9, as, you've, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. Verse 10. So here, here's the statement that I want us to consider. For do I now, Paul says, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Is, is that what my motivation is? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I would not be a worker for Christ who, as we, as we talked about in, in the, the sermonette, is, is looking for a return on his investment. I, I would be working for men to please men, which ultimately is my self-will to be looked upon in this way by men. No, I, he says, I don't, I don't work for that. I am a doulos. I am a bondslave to Jesus Christ I serve him my life I have completely yielded to him for his guidance and his direction and his will for me in his li- in my life verse 11 of chapter 2 verse 11 of chapter 2 most uh, many know this story We've got a situation where Peter had been there in interacting uh, in Galatia with uh, the, the Gentiles, or was, or was this in Galatia? I can't remember if he's talking about a different location. It may have been, a, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in Antioch, I'm sorry. It was in Antioch, but he's telling those in Galatia what happened. So Peter is, is there in Galatia. He's interacting with the Gentiles every, that are in the church. It's going great. They're, they're, they're very connected. And then uh, some of those who serve uh, in, uh, in, in the church that are from James, uh, who was a, a leader in the church, came. And, and, and then it says what happened. So when, when they came and visited there in Antioch, uh, this impacted Peter in what he did. He began to be a man-pleaser. Verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he, he pulled back and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. What's this guy doing dealing with these, these uncircumcised Gentiles? Yeah, yeah, I know they're in the church, but what's he doing there? Peter was concerned about that. If, that's, it's, if they see me with them, they're going to judge me this way. And, and it got him. It messed with him. It messed with him, and he started thinking about how that was going to impact how he was viewed in his self-image versus this is God's way. I, we, we've gone through the Acts 15 thing. We see that, that God has opened the door to the Gentiles. They are our brothers in Christ. They're part of the Israel of God, and yet still it drew Peter, and Peter was a man of God. He was a valiant servant for God, but it got him. It got him. And these things can get us. These things get me from time to time. So he says then, and the key verses here are verses 13 and 14 of what happened. So the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with Peter. Even Barnabas, you know, Paul and Barnabas working together so much, Barnabas got carried away with their hypocrisy. This this didn't gel with with God's word and what God had, had taught them and what they came to understand as a church and had committed to going forward in doing. So then he says in verse 14, but when I saw, and this is a key verse here, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, the doing of the truth, they were not being straightforward with it. When I saw that, he said, as, as he says here I, I you know I withstood him to his face when when I saw that I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And then he goes through and explains all of of what they had already talked about, about the the role of, of, of Gentiles and Jews, what they had come to understand in the church, all being a part of the body of Christ, and this is built upon this relationship justification being declared righteous by the shed blood of Jesus Christ we are declared righteous not through the keeping of law Uh, God's we we keep God's law but we the law can never justify us It, it can never declare us righteous before God only Christ shed blood cleansing us creates a situation where God looks at us and, and declares us as righteous. We then follow his law, because if we say, uh, I know him, and we don't keep, uh, keep the law, as, as 1 John 2 says, we're liars. <laughs> we're liars and truth's not in us. So, uh, but, but, but we've got to know which is which. Uh, so he says in verse 19, for I through the law died to the law. Uh, in terms of the, the, the penalty of breaking the law, he, I, I died to that. Uh, he says that I might live to God because we live in Christ. We've been cleansed by the shed blood of Christ and we are, we are in that state as a result of Christ, not as a result of the law. The law can't do that for us. So he went through all of that. And, and talked about that very clearly. So thinking about this statement, though, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel to the point that they were even playing the hypocrite, can we find ourselves at times in that predicament to where, you know, when I really look at it as I'm reading God's word and then living my life, Am I truly being straightforward about the truth of the gospel? Can we find ourselves in this predicament to the point that maybe we, we don't follow through in being straightforward about the truth of the gospel because of conflict that might arise? Uh, to reason around the truth of God's word, to justify what we want to do, that we know it says to do this and we don't want to do that. Or it says, don't do this, and we want to do that? To maintain some sense of control? As I do this, I'm acting out of self-will, yes, but it gives me control in in my life. To just fully go out there and say, Father, you know best, and just do this, uh, I I lose control. I, I don't know that I can do that. So we come then to verse 20, Galatians 2, verse 20 to, to come to what we would call then this opposite this galatians two hundred twenty is such a beautiful passage. I had never learned that that, that passage growing up as as a kid i didn 't really learn that until college when uh, several instructors just continued to come at this this passage and I, and i 've got to admit that i don 't know that I fully have grasped the depth of this this passage until recently, and i 'm even Hope, hoping that I can understand this to a deeper and deeper degree as I go forward in, in my life. But it's Galatians 2.20 that, that, again, is the opposite trait of self-will. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been placed on the staros, the stake, right up there with Jesus Christ. I have died to my way of life. I have died to anything that is self-will, that is me-oriented. I died alongside him. Yes, he died for me, and had he not died for me, I would not have the opportunity to die along with him. I I have done that. I must do that. My life must be a life that, 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 that views itself as one that has died on the cross along with Christ. It is no longer I who live, he says, but Christ lives in me. I'm I'm not in a sense I'm not alive. I, I am dead. I am dead. My ways, my nature, my all of that, I I try to cause that to be dead because I am fully yielding to Jesus Christ. That, that's a tall order. Uh, to where we view it, to where i i don 't even really it is not it is no longer I who live i 'm not the one in a sense who 's living, but I am so infused with Christ living in me, he is the life that 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 causes me to have life uh, as john six says uh, eat eat my bread uh, drink 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 my blood and and you will have and you have eternal life and i will raise you up at the last day this life that we have is is totally living In Christ and Christ living in us and the life that which I now live in the flesh I live by total faith I live by faith in the son of God the total trust that God is who he is and he has my best interest at heart I will yield to this being because he uh, he loved me and he gave himself for me verse 21 I don't set the grace of uh, I don't set aside the grace of God I don't set aside the grace of God. We look back at verse 20 and we see this is an incredible gift that he's given us. And I better not set aside this incredible grace that he's extended to me. Looking back at at, at this statement here then. Crucified with Christ. Let's look at a couple of really quick uh, scriptures really quickly. John 12, verse 24. I love uh, this statement here. I'm not going to give you a lot of time to get there. John 12, verse 24, uh, this whole thing of being crucified with Christ. Uh, we have died to Christ. A beautiful analogy here that Christ, that Christ gives of, of grains. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. We've got to die. We've got to die. We've got to die through being crucified along with Christ to produce fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. A lot of times we read 1 Corinthians 15. It's the resurrection chapter, uh, but there's a little statement in there in the midst of this that I I often read over. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 34, uh, speaking of this, this situation of it is no longer I who live. Verse 34, he says, actually verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, stay, stay out of that mess. And he says instead, verse 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. Through, through the shed blood of Christ, we are are declared righteous to God. We are justified. He says, awake to that, live in that, and, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. We, we have the knowledge of God. God has given that to us, and, and yet he says, I speak this to your shame. Uh, I, I look at that, and I read that from the standpoint of, of that, that we have been given the knowledge of God, and that to that is a uh, with that uh, carries a tremendous accountability, uh, and that's what he was saying to First uh, to those in Corinth. He could have also been uh, addressing to some degree. Uh, for some do not have the knowledge of God, and meaning that maybe there were, were some in the congregation who were not actively seeking the knowledge of God, and, and that could be their shame. I, I tend to think it's, it's probably the former uh, rather than the latter. One other passage uh, in describing uh, this Galatians 2.20 passage. Let's go to Revelation one eighteen. We serve... Jesus Christ he is our our life he's the alpha and omega the the originator and the finisher of our faith he lives in us and it is a beautiful thing for Jesus Christ to live in us because of what it means this is this is basic but it it's it's powerful in what it means in our lives as we view it this way as we view this as a total yielding to God this great being that one verse 18 revelation 1 verse 18 this one who says I am he who lives. Jesus Christ lives. He was dead. He says, I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus Christ lives in us, this being who is alive forevermore. That is our life. That is our only life that we have if we are crucified with him and we have died to ourselves as we put that out. All of the self-will, we put that out and totally yield. We allow this being who has life evermore to dwell in us. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Two final passages and we'll wrap this up. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. As Paul lays out a similar understanding to those in Ephesus in the first couple of chapters, in verse 3, he makes uh, this statement to them. As he looks at his own life and, and what he has experienced and, and the, the incredible humility of God working with him the way that he did, he says in verse 8, "'To me, who am less than the least of all the saints,' This grace was given, that, that I should be you know, given the opportunity to preach among the Gentiles the, these unsearchable riches of Christ, and and to to make all see what is the sharing or the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers uh, in heavenly places. As we've talked before, even though the angelic realm was, was uh, revealed, the, the variegated, multifaceted wisdom of God, all of those things, uh, by seeing the plan uh, for the redemption of mankind uh, be, be poured out uh, and, and see that unfold uh, by means of the church, uh, uh, the people of God the, the angels have even seen that as this is played out of, of what God is doing with us the church the these powers in the heavenly places and he's done this according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him he says that's why I ask that you don't lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory for this reason, he says, then I, I can go to God and I, and I bow down before him, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is, is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to grant you to be strengthened, not with your own might, not with your own power, but be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love can comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know this love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So, I, therefore, the prisoner, the one who is the prisoner of the Lord, he says in verse 1, who has yielded himself completely to God, who has surrendered himself as prisoner, he says, I beseech you, walk worthy of this incredible calling with which you were called. We're to walk worthy, as later passages talk about, in lowliness, in gentleness, in long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the bond of peace that's what Paul was doing in Galatians too when he was talking about talking to Peter about this. He did what he needed to do to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that we don't take the word of God and use it for our own means. Finally, let's go to 2 Corinthians 13 as we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians 13. As we go forward, let us consider any area in our lives that may come into this realm of self-will. Let us kick that out and replace it with the opposite of total yielding to God. He says in verse 4, he says in verse 4 of chapter thirteen, Second Corinthians 13, For though, speaking of Christ, though he was crucified in weakness, yet this being lives by the power of God. We're also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So he says, as he tells them then, as he tells us now, examine yourselves. We've, let's examine ourselves in these areas. Are, are we really in the faith? Do we just have knowledge of God's way? Do we like to tout the knowledge that we have? Or do, are we doers of the truth? Are we doers of the truth in every aspect? Are we completely yielded to this being that's going to give us everything? Which, which are we? Which are we? Which are we going to choose? Are we going to choose God, or are we going to choose Baal? Are we going to choose God, or are we going to choose the adversary, self-will? Nobody is ultimately going to tell me what to do in every aspect of my life. Which are we? Examine ourselves as to whether we're in the faith. Test yourselves. Trust in God in these areas. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? He's in us, unless indeed we're disqualified. But I trust you will know that we are not disqualified. Finally, he says here, verse, thir- verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong, and this also we pray, that you may be made complete. So he says, Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness. He didn't want to have to do that with the authority that he would have to do uh, if they didn't turn things around. Verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell, be complete become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sharing, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God, you have made an investment in us as we pray, as was talked about in the sermonette, Father, you know best. I I trust in you. I gladly yield. I surrender. Do we? Does, Does the Father really know best? I pray that he does in each of our lives.